0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Man, good, good. We got we a got, uh, front row, I, but this is actually the back row because it was back there and we moved it up here. So anybody that needs a seat, y'all feel free to sit on the back row. It's right here uh, if you need it, but uh, it's so good to see everybody here, and uh, you know, We are so blessed with so many children. Uh, As a church, uh, the families of our church, God has richly blessed us with children. Uh, A lot of churches wish they had children like we do, and we are just like so thankful for it that today we want to especially celebrate children and families and their inclusion in the worship service. Uh, Part of what we've done as a church staff, as Family Ministries, is we designed a milestone map that is intentionally tracking the major milestones. Um, our staff identified the major milestones in a child's life from the cradle all the way to college, to when you send them out the door, uh, Lord willing they had out the door. And so you, you want to identify those milestones and you want to participate in these milestone markers. And this is our way of leaning in and resourcing you, equipping you, coming alongside you as you parent your children uh, through these different milestones. The first one is called First Steps, and it's going to be what you're used to seeing of our our dedication uh, service where we dedicate a child. Uh, That begins this whole journey for us is our first celebration in here where we mark the milestone will be where we dedicate children to the Lord, which is also a dedicating of the family, the parents to raise that child, to to do the best they can, all that's within their power to to tee up faith in Jesus and following Christ. And uh, it's also a dedication of this church family to you as parents and to your children saying, we want to help you. We want to come alongside you on this journey through all these different milestones. The third one, this is a bookmark that lists all of them. If you haven't got this, be sure and and get this and go on our website. and You can see all these dates. But the the third one is family worship celebration. That's what we are doing today. We are celebrating the idea of families worshiping together. Uh, It's not that kindergarten is the only age to introduce your kids to worship. But what we are saying is, Kindergarten is a time where you need to start really thinking seriously of how are you integrating your kindergartner, your child, into worship. You may start, as many have, well before kindergarten. Some of our families are bringing their kids in for the singing. They leave, and then they come back for the service because their kids are very young. There's all different strategies We don't want you to think legalistically or like rules. We just want you to understand that these are great guidelines that we want to help you as you think about integrating your child into the worship service. And so what we're saying is by kindergarten, you're sending them off to school and they're expected to sit in a classroom for hours upon hours. And if they're ready to do that, we say, then they're ready to start being integrated into the worship service. And uh, we know there's challenges. We call things like this messy ministry. And messy ministry is a beautiful thing here. I mean, that's where real ministry happens, is when it's messy. And so, we want to encourage you by the time your kids are in kindergarten, uh, come to this celebration service, introduce your kids to worship if you haven't already done so, and begin to incorporate them in the family worship. So, here's what I want to do to celebrate all the children that are in here today. If you are a young adult from 18 under down to the little children, I want you to stand, and we just want to appreciate and celebrate your presence in this worship service. (laughs) All right, all right, see, see, I want the little ones, I want the little ones to look over here at all these cool young adults, that's what you're going to be one day. You may even be cooler than this group because that's not a really impressive group. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, thank you guys for being seated. You guys are modeling for these guys, and these guys are modeling for the younger. Y'all are having a massive impact on this younger crew by your presence here. So I know... You are, uh, I am so grateful for all of you being here, especially when you get your own driver's license and you could be a lot of different places and you're here. So so praise the Lord for you. And families, I'm, pl- I'm so pleased and so proud of you for, for bringing your children here. I know it's a lot a lot of squirming going on, a lot of distractions for you, but I hope at the end of this service you will say, hey, I'm glad that I did it. It was worth uh, the messiness that we have. So let me ask the Lord to help us as we look at the scriptures and encouragement for uh, worshiping together as families. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. When we come into your place, we gather because we believe that you are here, uh, that you are present with us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to learn that your spirit would take your living word and that you would work in our hearts this morning and that you would do a powerful work among us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Callie did a great job reading for us from Deuteronomy chapter 4, and she read verses 9 and 10. I'm going to reread, but I'm going to read uh, all the way from chapter 4, verse 1 through 10, and this will be our main text this morning. Moses has brought the people of Israel to the edge of the long-awaited promised land, and he is giving his last words because he's not going to get to go into the promised land with them. And so this is like a, a father's last words, a preacher's last words to his church as he's retiring. Or, or someone's last words are always their most important. They're not usually given very flippantly or lightly. They, they usually spend a lot of time thinking about it. And so what, what does Moses have to say to his covenant people, his last words, as they are about to enter into the promised land without him? He says, And now, O Israel... Listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live. Here's the source and the secret of having abundant life. Do them the word of God, the teaching, the statutes that I've given you, and go in and take possession of that land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. And then he continues in verse 2. You shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it. That you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal poor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of poor. That false god. But you, you held fast to the Lord your God. You are all alive today. And see, I have taught you statutes and rules or the word of God. And the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. Keep the word, do the word, for that will be your wisdom and that will be your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear these statues, they will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people.'" For what nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Who else has this? Only take care and keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And hear me now. Make them known to your children. And make them known to your children's children. Let them know how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, gather the people to me. And that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. And that they may teach their children so. So in these verses, this is equivalent to the first gathering of the worship service on Resurrection Sunday when Christ rose from the grave. Abraham, I mean, Moses had this exciting day where they're gathering and about to enter into the promised land. And they are celebrating all the miracles, all the amazing works through the plagues that God had done to save them from their bondage. And he gave them his word and gave them instructions and gave them hope for their future and for their life. And as a people, he gathers them there and he says, now we together are going to go into the promised land. And you know what God has done for you. You know, parents, what God has done to save you from bondage. And on that first Sunday when Christ rose from the grave and the people rushed together to sing and to celebrate and to worship what God does to save us through the resurrected lamb, Jesus Christ. And you know the the blessings of your salvation. You know the glories of God that are in Jesus Christ. And you know the meaning of the cross. And you know the words that say he is an anchor behind the veil. And you know what that means. And you know the significance And as you experience salvation, God is saying, remember this. Remember what you've seen. Remember what you've experienced. When life gets crazy and busy and and everything's pulling you in different directions, he says, be very careful to make sure you don't forget the gospel flame of Jesus Christ. And make sure you tell your children. And make sure you tell your children's children. And make sure not a generation gets skipped because it only takes one generation. Make him known to our children and our children's children. As they lived in the promised land, we've been seeing in the, in the prophets, minor prophets this summer, that they got fat and happy on success. They were living their best life that Christ gave them, that God gave them, and they forgot the one who gave it to them. And as a result, Judges 2.10 says, a generation was gathered to their fathers. A generation died, and it says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done in Israel. We don't want to miss a generation. According to Tim Wright, who's done research on this topic, he says the children of the boomers have become the largest unchurched generation in the history of our country. The children of the boomers have become the largest unchurched generation in the history of our country. What in the world happened? According to his research, and I think we can all say, yeah, I remember all this. Some of you are younger than me and don't remember all as much as I do. But in the 1970s and in the 80s, churches were scrambling to try to get the boomers back into church. And they came up with boomer-friendly church services and tried, what can we do to make this as friendly to boomers who are at that stage are raising their kids? And what they came up, came up with was, let's get the kids out of the worship service. And let's put them somewhere else and let's create a service that is very entertaining for the kids. And it frees the parents from being distracted in worship. And then you've got two things going on. The kids say, that was fun, let's go back to that church. And the parents say, yeah, I like it better. And so it was a very well-intended strategy to get people back in church. But there was an unintended consequence and that is that those children do not come back to church the largest unchurched generation in the history of our country. I'm sure there are other factors contributing to that fact, but I would say that I believe that that is one of the major factors, is that those children were raised, that church is, come in entertain me, give me what I want, when I'm hungry, give me a goldfish, give me something to color, give me something to entertain me, put in a DVD, just do whatever it takes to keep the child happy and then they grow up and they come to church or they're expected to come to church as an adult and they go, where's my goldfish, where's my coloring book, this is not fun, I'm out. It's a bad formula. And so we've, Made the mistake. And so we as a church are saying, let's not repeat that mistake. Is it messy to have young children in the service? Absolutely. But as a beautiful mess, messy ministry is wonderful. That's where ministry happens. If it's clean, there's probably not a whole lot going on. So we have a tremendous privilege and responsibility to train our children in the faith. And as a church, we have a tremendous privilege and responsibility to support parents in training their children in the faith. When does that training start? Dana and I were talking about training our kids this morning, and I said, help me think about this. And she said, well, when when did we start teaching our kids to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am? That was important to us. It was a sign of respect. We didn't send them off to college and say, oh, yeah, and don't forget for the first time, when an adult talks to you, say yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, they'd be like, yeah, whatever. You start when they're young, and it becomes a very natural way of communicating for them. You model it, and they learn it that way. When did your children start to learn to clean the room? Was it on their way out to college? Well, maybe never learned it, but (laughs) when did you start trying to teach them? You didn't say, I think this will work best if I just don't address it until they get older. No. If that is your philosophy, bad idea. Start young. God designed little minds and hearts of children to be malleable as they are in your care. And the younger you can start working with them, the better. Dana reminded me, she said... I remember in preschool, we were very intentional to talk to our kids. Do you really think that having a great communication with your teenager starts when they're teenagers? Be like, oh, you want to talk to me now? Where have you been the last 20 years or 18 years? It starts early. You foster the things in their heart early that you want to see be priority and important to them when they're older. How how do we teach our kids the value of, of our holidays, of Thanksgiving, of Christmas? Man, we make a huge deal about it. Every year as a family, this is what we do. Don't even think about going and being with your friends on Thanksgiving Day. It's that important to us. And we don't make our kids stay at the card table until they're 25. We bring them to the Thanksgiving table earlier than you may prefer because it's going to be messy. They're going to ruin the chair. They're going to drop food everywhere. They're going to make a mess. They're going to make it hard for you to have a conversation with your adult family members. But you bring them in there because that's where they realize grandma wears weird jewelry. (laughs) Grandma's different. And she might even smell a little different. But that's where they fall in love with grandma. That's where they fall in love with the way she cares for them. It happens in the messiness at the adult table where kids and adults are mingled together. And they hear the family laugh at the same stories every year. Why does dad tell that same story every year? That's just what dad does. His jokes aren't even funny. Yeah, but we all laugh to make them feel better. That's how it happens. That's more what is going on in the worship service, more than just a cognitive exchange of information. Your children are learning the priorities. When they go off to college and they graduate and they go off and start their own families, there's going to be a longing in their heart to get together at Thanksgiving like we always have done. And if you've raised your children in the worship service, when they go off and graduate, there's going to be a longing. It may take a while to pull them back, but there's a longing you've created in their heart to be in worship with God's people at the banquet table. So start younger than you think. We're saying kindergarten is a great time for us to celebrate it. You can start earlier You may work with it and you may take longer for you to do it. But the point is, let's be intentional to get our children in worship. Now this point you may be thinking, I can disciple my kid without bringing them into worship and ruining and getting distractions between me and everyone around me. Why do I need to bring them into the worship service? Well, I would say, first of all, we do want to affirm you. This time on Sunday morning. And when I say Sunday morning, I'm also going to include two hours. Heaven forbid I ask you to commit to being your church family for two hours. I got on this massive soapbox in the first service. I am trying so hard not to right now. It is not a bad thing. It is not. I took that as a come on, preach it. It is not a bad thing to ask you to bring your kids to see the people of God, to learn the word of God, and to worship God for two hours on a Sunday morning. Well, I've got to stop myself. I'm not going to. What more important could you be doing with your kids? If you say, I need more family time, well then turn the TV off. Stream one or two less shows. Participate in one less activity. I'll even give you permission to go to bed one hour later. But there is no more significant time that you can spend with your kids than entering into the place of worship with God's people. To learn God's word and to enter into a room where we are all sold out to Jesus. And we're singing praise to our Savior. Doing the very thing for which you were created to do. If you need more family time, cut somewhere else. And yes, we have something for all ages at both hours. Someone came up afterwards and said, you've been saying go two hours, two hours. You're talking about adults and kids or just the kids? I said, yeah, both. Do you have something for adults? Absolutely. There is something for everyone at both hours. If all you do is sit in here and have a cup of coffee with your Bible and you have some quiet time, just draw a circle around yourself, mom's all over the room going, praise Jesus. Give me some alone time. If that's what you want to do, if you say, I don't want a class, I don't want anything else, if you just get a cup of coffee and go sit on a bench out here, out there, or in this coffee shop, and you open your Bible and you read it and you pray while your kids are being taught to love Jesus, then that is a great thing to do. And then you come in here and worship together. I have no idea where I am in my notes. All right, so yes, this is not the only time that you disciple your children. That is a 24-7 job. This is just one way that we come in, and lean in, and help you as the people of God. Listen how it's a 24-7 job. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Moses says, Now you should teach them the word of God diligently to your children, and you should talk to them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, And when you lie down, and when you rise up, that's like every day that ends in Y. You should disciple your children all day, every day. When you sit, when you lie, when you walk, you shall bind them as signs on your hand. And they shall be as frontals between your eyes You shall write them on the doorpost. You have sticky notes all over your house, all over your mirror, the verses you're memorizing, the things you're talking about, the truths you're trying to remember. This is what the church taught us Sunday. Let's get that email out. And it says, ask these three questions. Put that up on the refrigerator. They're saying, 24-7, you have to live it, breathe it, and, and teach your children in everything you do. And... You gather, you do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. For it is here that you promote. And spur one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and teach the word of God as God gives gifted teachers to administer the word of God. So the spirit of God who dwells wherever two or three are gathered in the midst of them, there Jesus is, the spirit of God is, who takes the living word of God and drives it into the heart and does things in your heart and in your kid's heart that you have been praying God to do for years. And you don't know when it's going to happen. But I can sure tell you it's going to happen here more likely than watching an Xbox. So discipleship is 24-7. But pastor, I barely understand your sermons. There is no way they're going to understand your sermons. I say I hear that all the time. I get it. So is it a bad thing for your child to look at you and say, I have no idea? what that meant. That's a bad thing? That's a good thing. Deuteronomy 6.20, Moses says, when your son asks, when they ask you in the times to come, now what is the meaning of the testimonies and of the statutes and the rules that the Lord God has commanded you? Notice what he says. He says, you know what? You're right. They're not going to understand. Don't mess with it. It's not what he says. He says they're not going to understand. And when they ask, bingo, teachable moment. They want to know, what does this mean? And that's when you tell them, okay, we were enslaved. I was enslaved to sin. And Jesus set me free. And you tell them about Jesus. We were enslaved in Egypt. But God delivered us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Let me tell you about it. Let me open to the scriptures and tells the story. And let's talk about this. You need to know this God. So yeah, they're not going to understand everything in here. But you need to use those as teachable moments to teach them, to train them. It's very logical. It makes a lot of sense when we stop and think about it. But just in case you're not convinced by the logic, let me go to Deuteronomy 31.11 where we are commanded to do it by God himself. Moses continues in 31.11. When all Israel comes together to appear before the Lord, when the covenant family comes together to appear before the Lord, Your God at the place that He chooses, you shall read the law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, assemble the men, assemble the women, and assemble the little ones. He intentionally singles us out. I want all the men there, I want all the women there, I want the little ones there. This is that important. And even the sojourner who is within your towns, foreigners who've come in and made, become a part of the people. Bring them all here. Bring those little ones here. Why? That they may hear and learn to fear, revere, love, worship the Lord your God. And that they may then learn to be careful to do all the words of the word of God, of the law. And that their children... Who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal in God's design. This is not optional. This is not, eh, I'll take it or leave it. This is God saying, you don't understand. I don't have some other program that I'm going to create to take all my people to fill the earth with my glory. It's primarily through families, through parents, through parents teaching their children with the help of the covenant community, make sure you don't forget and miss a generation. This is a massively important calling. Inside the worship service, we have embedded in here, yes, us, this stripped down as simplistic, casual church as we can be. We have embedded in here traditions that teach traditions that people sit and they get quiet and they listen to God's word and they get reverential at the preaching of God's word. And we pray together, and we stand for the reading of God's word, and we sit and listen. There are traditions, and we take the Lord's Supper together, and then we baptize, and we have traditions. In Joshua 4, we see the people of Israel, as they lived in the land, they crossed the Jordan River. God did miracles. He parted the river for them. And as they were crossing Joshua told the people, get stones and set up a monument that is a way of reminder of this incredible work that God did this day. In Joshua 4, four, Joshua called the 12 men of the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe so that all the families are doing this. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes. So 12 stones that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in the time to come when he's kicking that soccer ball and it goes across and it bumps up against this pile of stones and for the first time though he's been climbing on it and playing on it and kicking the ball up against this pile of stones over and over one day he's going to go what is this and he's going to say, Dad, what are these 12 stones for? Why do we even have this? And he says, oh, let me tell you what the Lord did that day. God is amazing. We need traditions in our life. We need things that you don't even see every day. We just walk by it. And one day your child will say, tell me exactly what, why do we do that? And you tell them about Jesus, and you tell them about God, and you open up your word, and you explain to them. And if you say, I really don't know why we do that, you call us, and I'll tell you why we do it. You say, well, that's all Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, as I've already alluded to, in the New Testament, the whole reason we gather on Sundays is because Jesus resurrected on Sunday... He died on the cross for sins. He was buried and he rose victoriously from death on the Sunday and the people went crazy. He really is the Messiah. He rose from the grave. We really do have eternal life. My sins really are forgiven. He is all he said he is. He will do all he said he will do. Praise God. Let's write a song. Let's sing because he is our Savior. And so the people gather together on Sunday. From then on, in the rhythms of their life, it fuels the life of worship. It's not instead of what happens in the home. It is a part of and an overflow and a culmination of what happens in the home throughout the week. And it's the fueling and refueling. One author talks about it as we breathe in grace. As we come together and then we go out and breathe out grace all week. And then we need a midweek gathering to breathe in some more grace. And then we go back out and serve and give our lives away to breathe out more grace. Is that the rhythms, is that the rhythm of life you want your child to have as they grow up? If it is, we can't just park them somewhere and hope that when they become adults say, Hey, this is really important. It doesn't work that way. In the New Testament, when Jesus was teaching 5,000 people, that was 5,000 people, they all started getting hungry, and Jesus says, hey, what are we going to do to feed all these people? And guess who stepped up to the plate? A child. A child. How dare they let that child? He must have snuck out of daycare. He was in the gathering. And he says, well, I, I mean, I, I still got my lunch. And Jesus took that and did a miracle with what that kid had to offer. Can you imagine that kid on the, on the playground next day at school? <laughs> hey, man, you should have seen what Jesus did. I had a little small lunch and he fed thousands of people. Get out of here. Go ask them. God works in and through children they are valuable people in Matthew 19 13 Jesus was teaching and again there were children at this teaching time and then after the teaching time the children were being brought up to him that he may lay hands on them and pray for them and and the disciples were like wait wait a minute give them some goldfish and a coloring book and get them out of here The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such the kingdom, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He even uses children as an analogy to how we should receive Jesus with childlike faith. And he laid his hands on them, and and they went away. And he went away, and Jesus was all for, including the children, though they are adding a little excitement to to the service. He didn't consider, Jesus did not consider the children a nuisance. He did not give them the stank eye when they started causing a problem. He said, it's okay. It's okay. But what we need to understand as we think about children being in the service, Luke 10, 21 helps us remember this is not just a cognitive transaction. It is not just a dispensing of of facts that kids need to understand and don't understand. There is a spiritual reality taking place in here. Jesus is praying and he says, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, these spiritual truths, from the supposed wise and understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You have no idea what God is doing in your child as they sit and listen to God's word. The Bible says, for where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. God himself is in our midst. Surely we want to bring our children surely we pray, Holy Spirit, take your word and apply it to their young, moldable hearts. Paul wrote to children, expecting them to understand his instructions. In Ephesians 1, this is what you want your children to hear from someone other than you. Children, are you listening? Children, are you listening? Look at me. God says in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents. Right? Now, is God good? Children, is God good? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, would God tell you to do something bad? Oh, God wants what's good for you. Right? And what is good for you, he commands. And so, it is good for you to obey your parents because... Your parents are trying to point you to Jesus. And when they tell you to do something, they're trying to teach you how much God loves you and his great plan for your life. So children, obey your parents. This is good. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says it several times in the Bible. Not only in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, he says, children, obey your parents in everything for this Pleases the Lord. Children, when you obey your parents, whether you're 18 or you're eight months, when you obey your parents, the Lord himself smiles. It pleases God. And he says, well done. Well done. Parents, you need others telling your kids this. Supporting what you've been saying at home as they come and hear the family of God agree. And as I've already mentioned in Hebrews 4:12, the Bible tells us that there is a spiritual transaction taking place as the Word of God goes forth, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your child's heart. There's a spiritual work going on. It is so good for your children to be in here even if you go home thinking that was a nightmare. How good is it for your children to see you sing praise and worship God Almighty? How good is it to look up and see Dad humbly praying to God? What an impression it must make to see in mom or in dad's eye a little tear start to form. What questions and thoughts must come to a child's heart as they see a hand raised in worship or just a silent focus or just a need to just sit down and pray? What better way for your children to feel loved by a community, a family of faith? Where else are you going to teach this? Where else are they going to learn that this is not just me and my private faith? This is me and my family and God's people, and they love me. They're for me. They want God's will for me, and I feel when we started this church, one of the things that was on our mind was how in the world are we going to have, we got no children's ministry. We had my kids and the Howard's kids when they were little bitty and we're like, who's going to want to bring their kids to that? And you know what? We were shocked that kids kept coming and parents would say, my kids love it here. And we were like, uh, yeah, they should because we do some good stuff. Why do they love it here? They loved the love. They loved the community. They loved people who knew their name. We didn't have entertainment. We didn't have a big show and big flashy lights. And over the years, that's been the draw to our family ministries is people come in here and they know they're known and they're loved and people care for them. And they're taught the word of God. Let me tell you, that is powerful. That's what you want to give your children. So we must stop thinking that two hours on Sunday with God's people learning God's word and worshiping God Almighty is something too much to ask of our families. We do not need more family time. We need more time with God's family. If you need more family time, that you're not able to get enough family time because of the the two hours on Sunday, then I would encourage you to re-examine your priorities. Where is your time going? Cut something else out. This is why you were created, to worship God. And we're here to equip you and help you with that, Jason Heliopolis says this, speaking of our children, they must see, know, and learn that the singing of great hymns of the faith, the preaching of the word, reading of confessions, corporate prayer, etc., is anything but boring. It is the gathered life of the community of faith. It is our weekly rhythm appointed by God, designed by him, established for the ages. This is what we want them to know because we want them to know and worship him. Yeah, it's messy. It takes a little discipline. And and yeah, you're going to have to teach them right here in our midst discipline and self-control. And that's not easy. But you know what 1 Timothy 3, 4 tells us to be doing? Teaching our children discipline and self-control. You're not at school with them. This is the only place I can think of that you are sitting with them for an hour to teach them (laughs) discipline and self-control. Everywhere else, you are handing them to someone else, hoping they do a good job. God said, you are are the ones that he expects to teach them discipline and self-control and self-restraint. And it's messy. We're not going to judge. We're not going to get upset. We're going to be praying for you. Lord, help them have wisdom. And I'm glad that I'm past that stage because it's hard. But you'll get through it too. We will join you in prayer and support you and say, hey, here's how I messed up, or hey, I actually got it right once. This was a helpful tip, and here's a table full of resources, and these resources involve coloring, but they're not in coloring in such a way that says, check out, just, just pacify. They're connected to what's going on here to engage them, and there's... That first little sheet is if they can't read yet, then the green book is if they can read, and it just goes on, and then there's parent resources. And so we're here to help you. We're on your side. We celebrate you bringing your children into worship, especially by the time they start hitting kindergarten. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the great privilege of children. And I pray, Lord, that we as a church will see what a great privilege and great responsibility that gives us to teach our children the faith, to to mold their hearts early before the concrete is set, to train their hearts toward Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we as a church will see the value of bringing our families and being with the family of God for few hours on Sunday morning to learn your word, to study your word, to to have loving relationships with the extended church family, to worship together, to imprint on our children's heart the great supreme value of worshiping the God of the universe who created us and saved us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.